painting to photography, from beadwork to woodworking, KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University presents Artbeat. Artbeat highlights the work and accomplishments of local artists from in and around Winona. Support for Artbeat is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. On this episode of Artbeat, we take you to the 2021 Frozen River Film Festival, which was held virtually this year. Today, we hear from Raymond Rio, the filmmaker behind Put the Brights On, which was part of this year's local set at the festival. Put the Brights On shines a light on what it's like to be a trans person living in the rural Midwest, and it might not be what you think. Using stark images of rural landscapes and transgender voices, Put the Brights On breaks down stereotypes and leaves you with a feeling of understanding and acceptance. I'm Bill Stoneberg. Stick around as we Put the Brights On with filmmaker Raymond Rhea today on Artbeat. I'm here with Raymond Rhea. He is the director of Put the Brights On, which was part of the local set of the 2021 Frozen River Film Festival here in Winona. And uh, Raymond, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for talking with us. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of excited for this conversation. Um, I, the film really affected me. I really liked it a lot. Uh, just to let people know, I put the brights on. It uh, interviews four rural transgender subjects. Um, they're all from the Minnesota Lakes region. And uh, uh, the film works against common portrayals of rural life in the country as quaint, cute, or dangerous and dumb. Um, and it, uh, there's often a sense of humor with it. Um, and uh, found footage. Uh, this is something interesting I wanted to talk to you about, Raymond. Um, um, it says that there's a parallel lo-fi visual with hi-fi audio contrast because you use found footage with which was like 16 millimeter and Super 8, and then you have a contemporary, you know, a new recorded audio track. Um, was that something that was intentional going into this, or something that kind of came about through the process? You know, it it sort of came about, and uh, honestly, came about because of the timing of the project because uh you know i started working on the project i got a grant for it in the summer of 19 uh so i did all i recorded all of the audio interviews uh in person with people uh that fall and was getting ready to shoot uh video to shoot the interviews subjects you know on film but also talking to the camera in the spring of 2020 and then March happened. So, uh, so all of a sudden my visuals were basically completely derailed or my plans for visuals were derailed. I just couldn't get close to people. So, so I ended up, um, editing sound together just originally just editing the audio itself together and, that went out uh, with a little bit of a different intro and outro, a verbal intro and outro. Uh, and it was played on our local PBS affiliate here in Fargo-Moorhead called Prairie Public. And that happened on the radio in August 16th of 2020. And then after that, uh, you know, later in the late summer and the whole fall, I actually ended up uh, shooting 16 and shooting Super 8 and kind of layering it over uh, the interviews. But once once I was in that part of the process, I made a pretty conscious decision to like not pretend that you know, the video and the or the image and the audio was linked. Uh, so. 
you know, I decided to really contrast them and in, in a lot of ways, like really kind of set image and audio uh, in counterpoint to each other. Um, and, you know, deliberately so. Right, right. Well, I thought that was a very interesting aspect because as I was viewing it, you know, you hear the subject telling their stories and their perspectives and the visual just, it kind of gave me more of a feeling as opposed to like specific images, you know, it gave me the feeling of rural life and, 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 and what's that, what that's like. Um, it almost personally for me, it felt like, uh, like a sound, what a soundtrack does for you, you know, it's just yeah. like setting the mood and it, it, it allowed me to focus on their stories and on the words, I think much more than I normally do, you know, viewing a film, you know, so I thought that was, you know, really cool and, um, very effective. In fact, um, I would just like to back up just a little bit. Um, where did the inspiration for this particular uh, film come from? Like, how did the whole project kind of, you know, what sparked it? Well, the whole project, you know, so I moved um, to Fargo-Moorhead in 2008 from uh, California actually, mm -hmm. to, to take this teaching position. And, you know, it took me a while, <laughs> I gotta say, and this is nothing about the place. I think it's more about my own sort of, um, if I can say this, like, obnoxious <laughs> coastal point of <laughs> uh, coming here. But it took me a while to, like, really make contact here um, with both the transgender community and also, you know, the film community and, you know, in a lot of levels, um, the more underground film community here, um, you know, people who are making experimental work uh, in Fargo-Moorhead, whether it's, you know, film or music or mm -hmm. um, there's just, there is actually sort of an underground here mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, doesn't hang a sign outside, you know, right. uh, and it just took me a little while to find that. But, you know, once I did, I, you know, developed uh, a real sense of myself as part of that and as, you know, finally, <laughs> like, you know, belonging uh -huh. and being a Minnesotan and, you know, and at that point, just the obvious thing to do was to talk about that on film and, you know, to really address um, some of the stereotypes. Um, and part of when I say stereotypes, I'm really talking about like uh, metrocentric stereotypes coming from Minneapolis, St. Paul, communities, mm -hmm. uh, specifically the transgender uh, community in Minneapolis, St. Paul, but also outside of that, the sort of larger LGBTQ plus community and outside of that, just kind of the larger Minnesota St. Paul just community mm -hmm. but you know I've just experienced when I went down there and you know just communicating with few people um, just this overwhelming idea of you know what the like why the heck would there be transgender people in Fargo-Moorhead you know? right. like just tell them to come here like obviously mm -hmm they're in complete danger and you know if they come to minneapolis st paul their lives will be immediately improved and better um so you know so that was 
in direct contradiction with, uh, you know, what I felt mm-hmm. on some living here that, you know, there's actually quite a lot going on here. And also what I was hearing from, you know, friends in this area who were trans and, you know, I think there's overall uh, also in this country right now, of course, this is obvious to say, but, you know, a pretty huge rural urban divide going on everywhere, <laughs> not mm-hmm. just as part of the trans community. But I did find it to be interesting, like specifically within the trans community and the queer community, because, you know, those communities really prize themselves on being more open-minded than the general population. Um, And yet, you know, in some ways in Minnesota, there does seem to be this real sort of blind spot as far as this idea that the metro is always where, you know, things are more positive for mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus people. Right, right. And I really, there's a lot to unpack there, but th- I really like how you put that, um, you know, when you moved here, you know, uh I don't remember your exact wording, but it took you a while to, to kind of connect with the place and uh, feel at home. I, you know, I grew up in rural Wisconsin and, um, and I've lived in Minneapolis, uh, Milwaukee, a few cities like that. And I feel that same kind of divide in myself that you talked about nationally of how, you know, oh, rural people are this or that. You know, I've got these stereotypes, even though I'm one of them. And then I have these stereotypes about city life as well. Um, a lot of the same things. And that's the thing that I think found so fascinating about this film was those stereotypes that it breaks down and these viewpoints and I don't know it may it made me think about my own life and people I know you know um, um, I, I know a trans person that just moved from uh, Salt Lake City to a rural river town here and um, and yeah. just the the perspective that they have as well you know it's sometimes surprising you know we have these ideas in our heads And um, I really like that. Um, How did you go about finding the subjects then for the film? You know, I mean, did you know people already that you wanted to involve or did you reach out to find uh, people you didn't know or? Uh, Pretty much the former. Yeah. I I already knew all four subjects, but, you know, I didn't know a couple of them. I didn't know them well. Uh, So, you know, I had just had kind of brief encounters with them like Carl Sisu I didn't know very well so you know for the film I ended up um, going out he lives out in Pelican Lakes uh, district I think right on the lake and you know so that was the first time to do the in-person interview Uh, Mm -hmm. the interview I actually went out to his place and and that was you know and this is where I just really wish I had been able to go back out there with a camera on some level, uh, just because uh, really, really interesting to see somebody living in like a real rural experience, you know, where he lives uh, year round in a lake. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so that was new for me. I mean, I had met him like over zoom and, not over Zoom, I'm sorry, over the phone, and had heard him a few times, but going out to see his place was new for me. But uh, 
other subjects like Joanna Stately has been a close friend of mine ever since I moved here. And uh, she was actually like really the first person to like genuinely welcome me to town at a time where, you know, it was really, really hard to meet people. And I felt very isolated here. So I'm, you know, forever grateful to her. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Jan Cyberson, I knew from the community and knew from around and uh, he's been pretty instrumental in our kind of local uh, trans organizing, like, you know, trans marches in our local pride parade and stuff like that. Um, and then Lucid, Lucid Thomas actually too was a little bit new to me. Um, I didn't know, I didn't know Lucid very well. Uh, and that's partly because, uh, you know, Lucid is a student or was a student. I'm not sure if he's graduated now, but was a student in a school in another state, but this was his hometown. So okay. I only saw him when he came back for breaks. And But, you know, he has, because of that, he has and had, like, a really interesting perspective on how people saw him as, you know, country or rural mm -hmm. when went off to school and, you know, what the contrast was there. So... But yeah, that's that's pretty much my relationship to all four subjects. I knew each of them a little bit ahead of time, uh, but I got to know each of them. Right. Better. Right. Um, I just want to remind folks, uh, we are talking to Raymond Rea. Um, he is the director of Put the Brights On, which was part of the local set of the Frozen River Film Festival here in 2021. And uh, uh, Raymond, you also, I was looking into um, um, your background here. You have a production company called Density Over Duration, which um, uh, the explanation of the name is fantastic, I, I think. Um, uh, it Basically, that you prefer density over duration, um, talking about short films and stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, many of the shorts on your website were actually shot on film, it looks like, you know, in the past, yeah. anyway, um, as opposed to digital. Do you prefer one over the other, or or does it depend on the project? Uh, a little bit. A little bit depends. Uh, I mean, I have to say, I if I just had the money for everything, I would probably shoot everything on film. Okay. Uh, you know, but it's really a budget and also a convenience question, you know, as far as uh, being able to actually move larger film cameras around, film cameras mm. that can shoot sound uh, or uh, not shoot sound, but crystal driven film cameras that can sync up with audio or mm -hmm. just larger and more unwieldy. But, you know. I really love uh, the look of film. I love the grain of film. Um, you know, once a long time ago, I read an article that I haven't been able to quote or find since then, but I read an article that talked about the way that our eyes are human eyes. Uh, the way we see is more like the grains of film, you know, ah. but 
brain, when we look at it, is basically a random pattern that keeps changing. Whereas when we're looking at digital, whether we know it or not, on some level, this article was saying that we know it, like we're actually looking at a grid, you know, we're looking at pixels, prod, uh, right. Um, and that that's more artificial to us as human beings. So, you know, and again, I, I wish I could quote that article and who wrote it, uh, but I haven't been able to find it. Right. Uh, but anyway, film grain actually, I think, is just gorgeous and beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so I aim for that. And I actually do own my own 16 millimeter camera bolex that but you know it does not it doesn't have the ability to sync up with audio so i really can just shoot image without audio mm -hmm. right right yeah I, I i would kind of agree with you i i prefer film i think you know when it's possible <laughs> yeah. um so you know we talked a little bit about um the stereotypes that you know being broken down um about rural, about trans, you know, metro. Um, is there anything that you learned through the making of this film that kind of surprised you? You know, any kind of viewpoints that kind of shocked or surprised you? Um, yeah, I think something that Jan said, you know, uh, during my interview with him uh, <laughs> really did kind of make me look at my own biases, my own prejudices. And, you know, that was when Jan was talking about the fact that you know, when he was growing up on the reservation, his family, you know, grew their own vegetables and basically recycled every single thing that they could. But, you know, that was done out of practicality. It was, you know, cheaper to right. grow your own food. And, you know, when you don't have like municipal trash collection coming by, it makes sense to recycle. But, you know, but Jan really phrased that in the context of, you know, people in urban areas doing the same thing, like, you know, growing food and recycling, but really, you know, considering themselves, you know, quote unquote woke because they were doing that mm -hmm. and, you know, doing that, like, you know, oh, look at me, I'm being environmental, <laughs> you know, uh -huh, yeah. there, like Jan's context was like, you know, we were always doing that and, you know, didn't consider ourselves woke, like weren't patting ourselves on the back quite mm -hmm. so strongly. So right. anyway, just thought, I mean, there's a lot in the film that was said by the subjects that, you know, sort of took me aback as somebody who, you know, has my own background living in cities, uh, but that I just thought was really well said. And that was just one of the things. So, mm -hmm. yeah, same here. There was so much in it that I was like, oh, wow, you know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a little different when you do those things out of necessity, you know, and you don't even realize it, I think, you know. Many right people so that was very interesting um you know i mentioned a little bit before um the uh, your production company density over duration um which you've worked in film you've worked in theater um do you prefer one or the other or is there do you have a, a favorite medium and a favorite uh, uh perhaps you know uh, type like documentary or anything like that um you know it shifted it shifted around over time uh -huh. uh, yeah when i was out in California, I really shifted towards theater for a while. Um, and at the same time, I 
was still making films, but I got really involved with the theater company, Theater Robar, that um, put together or that put on risk-taking scripts. Like, that was their manifesto. And Mm -hmm. so got really involved with them over a number of projects and then, like, wrote, wrote a project that got produced. And so I really love theater and there of course is kind of a direct correlation between theater and narrative film so for a while i i made like one big attempt at a narrative film Mm -hmm. but it's not like in general most of my film for years now uh has been nonfiction and has been some sort of hybrid between experimental and nonfiction. Right, so right. And, uh so in some level i i don't see all that much of a contradiction uh between myself like appreciating theater narrative documentary experimental and that's because you know for me it's not so much about like genre or form that i'm using but there's all of these trajectories that are coming towards some version of a central theme Mm -hmm. uh which is really about like you know queer life and either lgbt life in general or um trans life specifically right right and really they're all just tools to uh tell the story right you know so whatever tool you need right exactly yeah yeah do you have any plans to expand on this uh project in particular the uh put the brights on or maybe you know expand on this theme of rural and trans or yeah you know i do and uh what i'm hoping to do uh now during covid is to actually collaborate with subjects with rural trans subjects whether it's the same trans subjects that are in put the brights on or newer rural trans subjects but to actually work with them in sort of a more covid way which would mean uh actually sending them or handing them cameras and having them shoot their own lives and then get the footage back to me for an edit so so i actually did write a grant for that project to the minnesota state arts board as a whole and was awarded a little bit of funding for that um i I have to say that I'm a little bit on hold right now because I haven't actually received the funding yet. Mm, right. <laughs> uh, and that's, I mean, I'm sure it's coming. It's just a case of waiting for it right now. So so I'm not starting on that yet, but that's the plan. That's the next project. Nice, nice. That really, actually, that brings me to something else I was thinking about, too, is, um, you know, you had to kind of adapt, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, the in the way you produce the film. Um, do you think there are any kind of like, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but like silver linings to the pandemic, like things that we had to do to uh, uh, to just roll with the punches that might, you know, help us in the future? Oh, completely. Yeah. And specifically silver linings for uh, people who are interested in film who do live in rural communities or or isolated communities, just because, you know, since since COVID, since last March, uh, so many film festivals and not just film festivals, but like individual streamers and, you know, uh, big name theaters, but so much is 
suddenly available to like everybody across the country mm -hmm. on you know and that i have to say has been like a huge gift towards people who live in more isolated parts of the country you know and all of a sudden through zoom or through streaming you know first of all people who live in rural areas can just join those conversations mm -hmm. and you know have their voice be equal in you know a zoom chat or you know a twitch chat or whatever it is you know where you know previously it just wasn't heard or you know i know for myself i've had film screen pre-covid in other parts of the country and sometimes couldn't even afford to like fly there right <laughs> be my own film screen i couldn't even afford to like get myself there uh so and that's you know a much bigger burden on people who live in rural areas than it is on people who live in urban areas so mm -hmm. um so that has like 100 percent absolutely been uh an unexpected but fabulous good thing <laughs> about covid and the filmmaking Right, so. right. Yeah, I know uh, from my own perspective, um, I was able to see more films at the Frozen River Film Festival because I didn't have to choose between going to one or another physically. I could just watch them all online. So, yeah, right. yeah, accessibility for sure. Um, how about, uh, uh, you know, like we've uh, we've talked about this a, a couple times here, you know, breaking down the stereotypes. Um, what do you think is the main thing you would like audiences to take away from this experience of this film? Um, well, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but uh, the biggest stereotype that I think urban people have about rural people um, is just that, you know, uh, potentially we're not very bright. You know? Right, right. right. Uh, and that's something that is just so completely utterly wrong so you know i just hope that you know if audiences take away one thing they can just listen to these subjects and think and notice like how articulate people are and you know also there is a pretty strong sense of humor like you know slightly self-deprecating but also poking fun at urban people uh humor within the film and I just hope people can appreciate that as well. I, I don't always get to this, but in some of my films, I really try to like have an edge of humor just to allow people to laugh mm -hmm. at certain points in the film and then have that switch up with a more serious mood at other points in the film. Right, right. I think that's important. It's almost like... Um... Um, cleansing the palate before the next thing you intake, you know, like, you yeah. know, a little laughter helps relax your mind. I think that's fantastic. Any, um, I'm sure you have plans for the future, but any, uh, what can we expect to see next? Is there anything in the works right now that, uh, we can look forward to? Well, just the Minnesota state arts board project, uh, mm -hmm. once that gets going and then, um, yeah, I've got, like, I always have things on the back burner uh, of my mind, but, you know, it's just, like, a little bit too early to talk about the things that are way back there simmering. Right. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> well, cool. There's then that means there's there's more to come that we can see, right? Right. Yeah. So, uh, is uh, density over duration? Would that be the best place to for people to go if they happen to miss this film and would like to see it again? Where where could they do that? 
right now the film isn't up on density over duration, and that's because I'm still hoping to get it into festival circulation oh, and okay. distribution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have to say, if people want to like screen the film in some way, they should just contact me. Um, but if they want to see the rest of my work and my screenings and what I've been up to, then for sure, densityoverduration.com is the place to go. Okay. Fantastic. Well, Raymond, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. And um, like I said, I really enjoyed the film. Um, uh, I encourage people to go out there and search for it uh, when it does pop up at other festivals. Um, or just get a hold of you. So maybe we can have some screenings in our communities here. That'd be fantastic. So That'd be great. Yep. All right. Uh, again, thanks so much, Raymond. It was a pleasure, and um, you have a great day, okay? Thanks. Thanks for having me here. Thanks again to Raymond Ria, director of Put the Brights On, which was shown at the local set of the 2021 Frozen River Film Festival here in Winona. To find out more about Raymond Ria and his work, go to densityoverduration.com. For more conversations on art, Tune into Artbeat Tuesdays at 1230 right here on 89.5 KQAL. I'm Bill Stoneberg, and we've just heard from filmmaker Raymond Ria on Artbeat. Artbeat is written and produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. Visit us on the web at kqal.org.